So we're, we're diving a little deeper on our study from last week. Uh, that's the, the purpose of looking at Armageddon again. The sixth and seventh bowls are dealing with Armageddon, but they're the bookends on both sides. So we see the beginning with the sixth bowl and we see the end with the seventh bowl. Um, but what happens between those two bowls is uh, quite a lot of activity that has already been told to us in the Old Testament. Uh, so tonight we're going to look at four of the eight stages um, of the battle of or the uh, campaign of Armageddon that happens between Bowl 6 and Bowl 7, uh, because Bowl 6 essentially is this whole battle. Uh, and so tonight we'll look at uh, the part of the war that happens during Israel's unbelief, the part that brings them to faith in their uh, Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom then they will call back. As their, uh, as their king and he will fight on their behalf. That's going to be the second half that we look at. So to make sure we're all on the same page then, this is dealing with the sixth and seventh bowl. So this is still the sixth bowl begins the war, which the seventh bowl ends. The events which come between are the subject of such a plethora of Old Testament prophecy that uh, to include them here in the book of Revelation would have just made the book of Revelation too big. Uh, Paul, or not Paul, John is expecting that those churches that read uh, his book will also have access to uh, the rest of canon. So he is only giving us new information here. He is uh, giving us information which helps us to organize those Old Testament prophecies chronologically. Um, as we've seen before, a lot of Old Testament prophecies have a two-part fulfillment. They'll have either a fulfillment in Christ's first coming and then again in his second coming, or they will have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, meaning, meaning that it was given to uh, Israel to comfort them in their current situation, in their captivity in Babylon, but it was never fulfilled to the letter, and God's word requires fulfillment to the letter. So we know that that is a foreshadow of what will actually happen in the last days. Uh, so all of that said, <clears throat> there are many prophecies left unfulfilled in the Old Testament, and that's what comes to fulfillment in the New Testament. The book of Revelation essentially gives us, uh, gives us an organization chart, which we put Old Testament prophecy onto. That's why um, it has so many Old Testament allusions, and that's why through our study in Revelation, we've spent so much time in the Old Testament, uh, because this is just the organizational chart. So we're going to start with the first stage of Armageddon. This is the organization of all of the allies of the false Christ as they are coming up against Israel. Their purpose in coming up against Israel is to wipe out the nation which has the ability to call in another king. We can think back to the first century and Rome's efforts to uh, squash Jesus because he was a threat uh, to Rome. Now we know that's not the actual reason he was crucified. Um, he was tried and found not guilty of that. Uh, but uh, that was an accusation brought up against him that he was a competing king. With the Antichrist, that will be the case. Um, he will be the competing king, the threat to the Antichrist's kingdom. And the only way to keep Jesus Christ from returning to the earth would be to kill or to uh, slaughter all of the Jews because it is the Jews' responsibility to call him back and 
accept him as the king of God's choosing over Israel. Um, it was because of his or their rejection of him as their Messiah that he left the first time, and it's because of their acceptance of him that he will return a second time. Uh, so that's the background here of what's happening, why the Antichrist is amassing uh, these armies against Israel is because he has to squash Israel. They are a threat to his control over this earth. And that starts in Revelation 16, verse 12, which is the pouring out of the sixth bowl. Um, it says, this sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings of the east. Now, we spent time um, showing that the Babylon will be on the river of Euphrates. The river of Euphrates will be dried up so that the armies can cross it. We didn't spend much time talking about who these armies of the east are. So I actually have a what I think is a pretty conservative uh, view of who these armies of the east are. Um, a conservative view, meaning there's biblical data that identifies uh, those kings of the east. And frankly stated, uh, the Bible never talks about the Chinese people or the Japanese people or the Indian people. Uh, the armies of the east are probably those armies that have amassed in Babylon itself. That means that Babylon being the capital empire of the world will have its own army and its own, uh, its own armada. So it will be at that time that the Euphrates is dried up that Babylon itself being on the east side of the Euphrates or having its army on the east side of the Euphrates is going to have opportunity to move its entire arsenal quickly uh, towards Israel. So why I say that this is probably Babylon is because uh, <clears throat> these kings of the east are mentioned elsewhere, but the way that, they, that it is translated uh, makes it a bit uh, sticky because in, uh, so here in Matthew 2, 1, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he was, or for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now the question of how did these Magi know to look for a star uh, so that they could come and find this, uh, this child who was the king of the Jews. Uh, they did have plenty of, uh, of prophecy that would point them towards this. For example, they had the prophecy of Balaam from Numbers 24. Uh, when Balaam was prophesying against uh, Balak, the king of Moab, which was east of Israel, while they were in their desert wanderings, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Seth. Now, this was recorded by Moses into the book of Numbers, but this prophecy was given by a Gentile prophet to a Gentile king over a Gentile nation. And these prophecies were probably kept uh, for them, for their understanding and for their edification, but not as part of the canon, in the same way that other prophecies have been kept by other uh, nations that are not in canon. <clears throat> we also have prophecies from Daniel. Daniel had the 70 weeks prophecy that gave an exact time uh, when the king of Israel would arrive. And it is down to the very 
uh, very month, week, and day uh, that Messiah arrived at uh, at Jerusalem to receive the crown, but did not receive the crown because of Israel's rejection. So the nation of Babylon had information that would have pointed towards that time period. So they knew to be looking for a star, and they knew generally what time to be looking for it. Uh, so here in Daniel 5, we see that Daniel's office as chief of the Magi would mean that his prophecies would have been kept in Babylon, and those Magi under, his, uh, under him would have had to read his uh, work in the same way that, uh, say, our, our government officials or judges have to read that which has been written by previous judges and officials. Um, the same goes for Daniel. People would have had a tradition of reading Daniel's prophecy in Babylon. Um, so we see that Daniel was appointed chief of the magicians, conjurers, and Chaldean diviners. Uh, <clears throat> so that locates these prophecies as having been uh, in the East. The East in scripture does not, uh, to my understanding, does not ever refer to anything past uh, past Mesopotamia. It's just not really spoken of. Uh, there's one, one place in, oh, I think it's, it's in one of the major prophets that may be speaking of uh, the islands off of Asia, way out in Japan or something, uh, where it's talking about the extent of Solomon's navy and how far it went. Um, but so far as actual players on the world stage, it never speaks of anything east of Mesopotamia. Um, so I don't think it would be the case that John would mention anything east of that without being a bit more clear that it's supposed to be east of the, uh, the land generally called the east in scripture. Uh, all right. So, so, so Dane, can I just clarify what you're saying is that you don't think necessarily that Russia is going to be involved in this part? Um, I think Russia is going to have pretty much been squashed in the Gog-Magog war. Uh, so I don't think they're going to be a major player in the tribulation period, but I think they will be a major player leading up to it. Uh, at this point, Russia will have been pretty much defeated. Uh, there will be mention of nations of the north, but it'll reference specifically uh, media, which is uh, those uh, Caucasus regions south of Russia. Uh, so Armenia and uh, uh, Tajikistan or whatever that uh, stand is next to Armenia, uh, Syria, the uh, Caspian Sea in that area. We'll see those as players in this war against Babylon, uh, but we don't see Russia mentioned in the, the Battle of Armageddon. That's the Battle of Gog and Magog, I think. <clears throat> Got it. Uh, which I think happens before or in, in the very beginning of uh, the tribulation period. Okay, so what I, I think these are armies that are stationed at the capital of the world, um, Babylon, at that time. And what is going to incite uh, these kings to move and the kings of the whole world to amass around Jerusalem is going to be a demonic spirit that is going to go out into all the earth to collect them together. Um, this is just a bit of review of what we did last time. So I'm not going to uh, present all the verses, but we had 
verses from Second Kings as well that shows that God has used this uh, before, where he will use the, uh, the efforts and the goals of uh, even demonic spirits to bring about his purposes. So he looses the reins and he allows them to enact their will. And in so doing, they uh, foolishly enact his will. Um, and this is what the Antichrist is doing in his efforts to squash um, God, he is actually squashing himself. Um, so it's kind of like a divine comedy, uh, a very morbid divine comedy, but uh, nonetheless. So it says the kings of the whole world are to gather them uh, together for the, war, for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Uh, now that's probably a better name for this war than Armageddon because Armageddon isn't even uh, the location of battle. It's the location of the staging of the Antichrist's armies prior to battle. Uh, the battle is going to happen in three places. Uh, only two of them the Antichrist is part of, and that's in Jerusalem and in Petra. Uh, Armageddon is merely a valley large enough to hold the armies of the Antichrist. Uh, and it's within uh, attack distance of Jerusalem. These kings of the earth uh, are spoken of in more detail in Daniel. So we're going to be looking at these probably within a year from now um, in a bit more detail. But it specifically comes from a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 um, about the fourth world empire, uh, specifically its second inflection. Uh, it says, thus he said, speaking of an angel, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all other kingdoms and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Uh, keep that statement in mind because that's one of the reasons God is going to crush Babylon is because they have crushed the world. But uh, Daniel saw this beast having 10 horns and then a smaller horn rises up and cuts down three of the other horns. So it says, as for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings will arise and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and he will subdue three kings. Uh, so that uh, is the angel explaining what is happening with this uh, last world empire, that it's going to be made up of a conglomeration of 10 kings. One of those kings will rise to supremacy over the rest, and then subdue three of the other kings. Uh, I, I have wondered if this... Um, subduction of three other kings leads to the destruction of Babylon. Um, but we'll get to that when we see who is destroying Babylon. Uh, but uh, the information points us towards uh, when it says the kings of the world, it's probably these seven remaining world leaders that are viceroys of the Antichrist and the beast, who is the ruler over the entire earth. So it's specifically the armies of these seven uh, seven divisions of earth that are coming against Jerusalem for the purposes of the Antichrist, uh, but more specifically the purpose of uh, who is behind the Antichrist, and that is Satan, because Satan is the one who seeks to elevate himself above God. And uh, to retain control of this earth, he has to keep Messiah from returning to this earth. Um, he foolishly believes that he's capable of doing that. Daniel 7 continues and says, he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. Um, I think this is speaking of the Battle of Armageddon specifically. He will 
uh, intend to make alterations to times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That speaks of the three and a half years, which is the second half of the tribulation period uh, that takes place after uh, he commits the abomination of desolation in the temple uh, and declares himself to be God. So this uh, time, times, and half a time is coming to an end in our passage here um, at the Battle of Armageddon. That is the end of his rule on this earth. Uh, but there is hope. Daniel 7.26 says, the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. And that's what happens here in the Battle of Armageddon. He goes out to destroy God and to destroy God's people and ends up being destroyed himself. Uh, that is uh, essentially Armageddon in a nutshell. It says as well that they... Uh, amass in the valley of Harmageddon, or in the uh, region called Harmageddon. Har is the Hebrew word for mountain or mountain range. Um, sometimes hills, but uh, there's a better word for hills in Hebrew. Um, so this is probably the mountainous regions of Israel, which are in the north. Uh, so his journey is going to take him from Babylon across, uh, across the wilderness there, and up near Damascus. Uh, Damascus will have been destroyed at this point, but you see there's a valley there um, kind of south of Mount Carmel. I've got it circled on the map. That region of uh, Issachar and Zebulun, that's going to be where the Antichrist amasses his army. That's not a huge tract of land, but it's big enough to put quite a few um, battalions in it. Uh, there's a picture from one of the hills overlooking the valley. Now, this valley um, system uh, does have quite a bit of area for only being a couple of miles wide. Uh, it is one of the best places to stage an army uh, when preparing for an attack on Jerusalem. Now, here's uh, th this kind of blew my mind when I realized that this psalm is about this battle, because we sometimes take it as just a general um, a general psalm about God's uh, power and might over the kings of this earth, um, but it's very specific about what's going on. Um, so you'll all recognize this psalm, and it's a prophecy of the final battle uh, of Armageddon. So Psalm 2 says, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So we see what's going on in the minds of these kings. They are seeking to throw off uh, the God who has been sending judgment after judgment on the earth, saying, let's throw off these cords, let's destroy God himself. Uh, and the foolish mind of these demonically uh, inspired kings. Remember, it's a demonic spirit that's going out to trick them into thinking that this effort is possible. Uh, their purpose here is to come against God himself by coming against Israel. In Joel 3, verses 9 and 10, uh, Joel records, proclaim this among the nations, prepare a war, rouse the mighty men, 
Let all the soldiers draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Now, this is uh, actually the words of the unbelieving that Joel has recorded. He is recording uh, the vain ambitions of the kings in the last days. Notice especially the last line, let the weak say, I am a mighty man. It does not say let the weak become strong, as we're going to see Israel is supernaturally made strong. This just says, let the weak people be convinced that they are strong. Uh, and that's what's going to happen is they are going to beat their plowshares into swords and their pruning hooks into spears. And this is purposefully antithetical to God's millennial kingdom, where Jesus Christ is reigning over this earth and people beat their swords and spears into plowshares and pruning hooks. Uh, so this is the opposite of that. This is preparations for the last um, war that will end the rebellion against God on this earth. And so God's response in Psalm 2, he who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. So we see the ease with which God is going to conquer them and uh, how nothing that they stage against him really even poses a threat, but it's only sealing their own destinies. Uh, and the psalmist continues, he says, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So that's the staging of uh, the Antichrist armies around Jerusalem, the purpose being uh, to end God's grip on this earth. The result will be that their reign on this earth will be ended. <clears throat>